We're going to turn together in the scripture tonight to the Gospel of Luke. And if you have a Bible or a Testament with you, you can turn with me and we're going to read this together. Luke's Gospel and the chapter 15. We're going to read a passage that is very familiar even perhaps to people who are not Christians and don't know the Lord. But it's a wonderful story of the love and of the mercy of God. And the Lord Jesus is the one who's speaking. And in Luke chapter 15 and verse 11 it says, And he said, A certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the young son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land. And he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have fain filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat. And no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise, and I will go to my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him. And had compassion, and ran, and fell on his neck, and kissed him. The son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to the servants, Bring forth the best robe, and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf, and kill it. And let us eat, and be merry. For this my son was dead, and is alive. And he was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Now his elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound, and he was angry, and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid, that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son is come, which has devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, Thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Amen. And we know God will bless the reading of his truth. Let's unite together in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the opportunity to meet together around God's word. And we do ask, Lord, that thou would grant to us the help of the Holy Spirit. We do take authority in your name, Lord, over every power and every influence that would be negative or would, Lord, really prevent light and life flowing into lives. And so in Jesus' name, Lord, we bind every influence of the devil and every dark spirit that operates in the heavens, we bind it in Jesus' name. And we pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would be poured out in great measure, and that we would become really conscious that the Lord is here. O oh, Father, I give myself completely to you. I pray that you would cleanse me and sanctify me, and I pray for that gracious anointing, the oil of thy Spirit, and I pray that you will speak tonight, Lord. 
I pray for souls to be saved, for backsliders to be restored, and Lord, for deep needs to be met in lives. So I commit it to you, Lord, and I thank you for the help of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The little story that Jesus told is one of misery and mercy. Misery and mercy. The context into which Jesus presented this story was that of the angels in heaven rejoicing over sinners coming to Jesus. And when someone truly repents and turns from their sin and receives Jesus Christ by faith as their Savior, the Bible tells us that heaven goes ecstatic with joy. I don't know whether it's all of heaven, perhaps, or whether it's particular angels, I'm not sure, but what I do know is that there's great ecstasy enters heaven when a person enters God's kingdom. Isn't it a wonderful thing to think that the night or the day that you trusted the Lord, that it had an impact in heaven, that heaven knows all about it? Well, my dear friends, this Jesus is presenting to us as to how that joy takes place. And he illustrates it by the story of a young man who decides to leave the comforts and the blessings of his home and go on a life that certainly his father and certainly God would not want it of him to have done. And so really, we could start the story as we begin to look at the life of this young man, the youngest of two sons, a young son that perhaps felt inhibitions and limitations put on him because of the home. He maybe felt that faraway fields were green. He was unsettled. It seems to me when you read the story that his brother wasn't exactly the nicest. <laughs> and you know you can be brought up in a home where you can be bullied. I and my work have lost count of the people that have not merely been bullied but abused in their home. Abused physically. Abused sexually. Abused verbally. Damaged goods. And one of the greatest tragedies that I listen to in my study is when very often those people sit broken before me is that they come from Christian homes where the parents were very religious. A bit like this boy here, he was full of religion. I keep the commandments. I never did anything wrong. You never give anything to me. Oh, he had problems. Just recently, I have been doing a study in one of the Gospels, and I've been deciding as I study it to look at two concepts, and one is the Pharisees and Jesus. Look at the Pharisees, what they did, and look what Jesus did. And what I have noted, and I actually was talking to my wife the other day at the table about it, and I said, you know what I've noticed about Northern Ireland and the culture that it was brought up in, in the evangelical church, there's far more Phariseeism than there is Christianity. Boy, they were into rules. And it's like that today with people. They wouldn't give a toss about you. They wouldn't really care about you. But boy, if you don't have the right dress, and if you don't have the right Bible, and if you don't fit into their wee, wee slot, but many of them living like the devil. Living like the devil. No love. No love. Gossips. And sometimes I get angry. I get angry in my own heart when I sit with these people. 
And then when I read the Bible, I discover that the Lord Jesus, whenever he went into the temple, he just went mad. He just took the thing and threw it over. And it was all to do with religion and worship. And he threw the whole thing upside down. It was so disgusting to him. You and I as Christians need to ask the Lord to take that type of stuff out of us. Take that out of us. And give us a heart like Jesus. Well, that's the kind of brother he had. And I would say life wasn't so easy. But what he says one day is, I'm leaving home. (laughs) Goodbye. I'm on my way out now. And he went to his father and he said to the father, he said, give me half of the possessions. Queer brazen boy. (laughs) Give me half of the possessions. He says that I might go and do as I wish. He never earned any of it. <laughs> he says it's mine. Boy, he was taken for granted things that didn't belong to him. And people are like that. They take for granted everything they have as though it belongs to him. Eyes to see, ears to hear, the ability to breathe, life itself. Home and family and children, sun to shine, wealth, health, work, food, all blessings from Almighty God, and yet it's mine. No gratitude, no thankfulness. And the father being very gracious, he said to the son, I'll give you half. And so he wrapped it up and he got his money. And he made off, and this was the beginning of separation. Leaving the Father. I'm going. I'm not staying anymore. And it's a picture of an event that happened in the Garden of Eden when God Almighty had created Adam and Eve in his own image and had given to them everything that would bless them. Adam, when he created him, lived in total communion with God and was ever conscious of the love of God. He had amazing abilities and skills. I was listening to Watchman Nee recently. If you don't know, he was, a, he was a great author. And I was listening to him recently. And Watchman Nee was pointing out that God gave him dominion over the earth. Now, at that time, the earth was just one, one large block because the flood hadn't come, there weren't the continents or anything like that. The earth was entirely different before the flood. So there's one great continent, and in that is the Garden of Eden, which doesn't exist anymore because it was destroyed by the flood. But in that great continent that was vast, God says, I'm giving you dominion over it. Now, I don't know what capabilities this man had, or whether it was angels that he was commanding, I don't know. But I'll tell you one thing. If you have dominion over the earth yourself, you have got some power. You have some capabilities. And I can tell you, my friends, as I carefully read Genesis chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4, I discover that Adam was a very unique person before the fall came. But God gave him a garden. He didn't ask for it. God gave him a home. God gave him a wife. Before he ever thought that he had a need, God had it provided for him. And he just walked with God and he enjoyed the garden and every fruit that he needed. And God gave him a job. God's good, you know. God's good. And God gave him the responsibility to protect, dominion to protect. And whether he knew the serpent was about, I don't know. But to some extent, he probably failed his wife. Because the old serpent came and spoke. Now, I have heard people on television, and they'll they'll say, sure, the Bible's a load of nonsense. Sure, who ever heard of a snake speaking? Would a parrot speak? 
I had an uncle near a budgery girl that spoke. He spoke more than my uncle. Creatures of the ability to speak, you know. But there was a fall. There was a fall through sin. At the end of the day, my dear friend, if a snake or a, or if a donkey, or if I was on the farm and a cow walked up to the hedge, I was at the garden. That talk, dog started or cow started to talk to me. I tell you, I'd sit back. Wouldn't be long running in send the cows after talking to me. But she wasn't shocked, you see, because she was undoubtedly accustomed to this creature, and it did speak. But the devil got a hold of it and spoke. And it, said, it didn't say to her, God doesn't exist. It wasn't that big a mug. <laughs> Not like Dawkins and these boys. It wasn't, the, old, the old devil wasn't that big a mug. He didn't say God didn't exist. Adam and Eve knew he existed. They met him every day. No, no, they weren't that stupid. The Bible says the fool has said in his heart there's no God. They weren't fools. No, no, what he said was God is good. The God that comes and has given you all this, he's a great God. He's a wonderful God and he's done wonderful things. But here, what I tell you, you see, if you take of the fruit that he said not to take of, you'll be a God. He didn't say anything against God. He just said, if you would take of the fruit, you know, you would rise up and you would be like him. And boy, that was attractive. That was attractive. And they took of the forbidden fruit. And God had warned them, in the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. And they died that moment. You say, Alan, they lived for hundreds of years afterwards, yes. But they died in their spirit. Their link with God was broken. Sin had come in. Rebellion in the heart had come in. And they didn't become gods, my friend. They became more like devils. The devil had deceived them. And the Bible says that he goeth about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The Bible says in the book of Revelation that he deceiveth the whole world. What a character. Deceiving the whole world. Governments, prime ministers, leaders, everybody. He's a deceiver. You see, what God did, and I want you to catch this, very important is that God gave Adam an amazing capability that you and I have, and it's called free will. God took a huge risk in the Garden of Eden. Whenever he said to Adam, he said, listen, I'm going to give you a choice with this fruit. If you take of it, he said, you will surely die. But if you don't take of it, you'll live forever in me and live off me. And Adam was deceived by the devil, or rather Eve was, and Adam just took the fruit, and they both sinned and fell, and sin entered, and separation occurred. You see, if God hadn't given Adam free will, he would have had a robot. I remember the night I was converted as the preacher preached, and he said, choose you this day whom ye will serve. And I, in my heart, chose to follow the Lord. I chose in my heart to repent for my sin. I chose to believe the gospel. You see, my dear friend, as I was told at that time, way back in that mission, there's one thing God cannot do. There's many, in fact, but one in particular. And that is he can't save you if you don't let him. He'll not violate your will. He says, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, the handle's on the inside. You see, dear friend, that became what the theologians called the fall of man. And man's a fallen creature and he's a falling creature. And you don't belong into this world until you realize there's something badly wrong with it. You don't belong here. I was just saying to Bertie earlier on, I was listening to you singing a hymn. And as I was listening to the hymn you were singing, it, it always, this hymn always brings a thought to me, and it always brings me right back to 1971. 
as a little boy of six. And I can remember standing in the village of Moy as a little boy. And I remember a hearse. And I remember a funeral. And I never saw as many people in my life as a wee boy. And I remember looking up and down the street. I can still remember it and seeing all these people crying, men and women. And a big band coming. And this big band was playing really sad hymns and sad songs. And on coming behind was the body of a young policeman. 21 years of age, belonged to our church. Young fellow just interested in helping the community and worked with a boys brigade and wanted a few pennies to keep his widowed mother. And he had been shot dead by the IRA. And his crime was just that he was a poor fellow, needed a job, and wanted to help his poor widowed mother. And I saw that as a wee boy of five. And I knew even from that age there's something terribly wrong with the world I'm in. Something terribly wrong with it. And of course we all know how many coffins were carried over the years. You see, my dear friends, whenever Adam sinned, immediately what happened was God came in the eventide as he always did. And he said, Adam, Adam, where art thou? And Adam didn't reply. He was gone. And he was hiding in behind a bush. And God came and pulled him out from behind the bush and he said, what are you doing there, Adam? He said, I hid because I was afraid. He had never had fear before. That was a new concept, but man's full of fear. And the reason why Adam became full of fear and full of guilt and full of shame and hid from God was because he was now an enemy of God. Because he had chosen to live his own life. He had chosen to be his own God. He would be the master of his own destiny. But you see, my dear friend, when puny man decides that he's the master of his destiny, there's so many things going on around him that he can't control them because he has no protection anymore. He has no provision anymore. And he has to become his own God. And he has to try and save himself. And the catastrophe of the fall is evident for anybody who has eyes in their head and several brain cells in their skull. The Bible says your iniquities have separated between you and your God and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. You see, he went and hid. And once he had hidden himself, him and Eve, they discussed it and they knew that something terrible had happened. And so they made their own covering. It was the first invention man ever made. And that was a skirt to cover their nakedness. An apron made out of the leaves. Oh, the covering of God was gone. And man was now a fully blown, 100% thoroughbred, rotten sinner. And every child was ever born has the same DNA. And for that reason, all men will die because the wages of sin is death. You can deny the existence of God, but friend, you'll die. You can deny that he lives or he exists or does anything today, but the consequences of sin are there in your life. You cannot deny them. You cannot get away from them. And the Bible tells us that when man went into that condition, that he chose darkness rather than light because his deeds were evil. Did you ever talk to somebody about their soul when they don't want to hear you? Man, they run from you. Used to do open airs in Lisbon for many years. And whenever people would walk down the street, we'd be preaching and giving out tracts. And you'd go over to some couple and they'd maybe been out for the day. And he had lovely suede shoes on and dressed up to the 90s. And coming out for an afternoon in Lisbon. And you could see their face twisting and contorting once they started to hear the open air. And you could see the whole attitude. And you'd walk over with a tract and you'd have thought you were giving them a booby trap bomb. 
Man that run from you. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. They will not come to the light lest their sins be exposed. We're all the same. You see, friends, he said, I'm leaving home, and he became separated from the Father. But then he said, when he got away from home, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to do my own thing. I'll do it my way, because that is the nature of sin. That is the essence of sin. I will do it my own way. And I want to say to every Christian, every area of your life that you are doing your own thing, I want to tell you you're in rebellion against God. Every area of your life that you have control of, you're in rebellion against God. And that's why Jesus Christ, to those of us who are Christians, why Jesus said, except you take up the cross and follow me, you can't be my disciple. You've got to die to yourself. That old self-life that was created in the Garden of Eden, that longing to do our own thing, Jesus said, that must die. The hymn writer said, let me die that I might live. Well, what happened was this guy made off, and when he made off, he wasn't going to be giving out tracts or preaching sermons or preaching the gospel. When he left the father, he had got half of the father's possessions. And the Bible says that he took himself and his wealth to a far country, and there he wasted his substance with riotous living. I think that gives a fairly good picture of how he lived. The brother, whenever he came back, he put it a bit plainer. He said, this guy has spent everything on prostitutes. That's what he did. Okay. You say, well, how did he learn to do all that when he was brought up in such a good home? And the brother being so self-righteous and the father being good and kind, well, how did he learn that? He learned it from his own nature. He was a sin nature. You see, you take the sin as naturally as a wee bird takes to flight. When they jump out of the nest and the wings go out, that's as natural for you to sin. This boy was only letting his nature inside do its job. That's all he was doing. There's nothing odd or peculiar about him. He's just doing what's in the heart of man. And the Bible tells us, interestingly, let, it, let me read it. If you have a Bible, you can turn with me, if you'd like, to the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians chapter 5, I beg your pardon, it's Galatians, in the, I've been in the right book. Galatians chapter 5. Let me read what the Bible has to say about the heart of man without God. In chapter 5 of Galatians and verse 19. This is what the Bible says that whenever Adam sinned, this is the kind of heart he had. Okay? I want you to listen to it. I'm going to run through it quickly. But it'll give you a kind of a flavor of the heart of man. It'll give you what God had to say about every man and woman. Listen, even the churchgoers that aren't saved. <laughs> it just gives you a flavor of the heart. Okay? So you see these people saying, he's a wonderful man. Some boy dies and he was great and all that stuff. <laughs> believe a word of it. This is what God says about the man's heart. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, they're clear, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, and lasciviousness. What does all that stuff mean? Well, I like one translation, and they said that, that the fruit of the flesh is immoral ways, filthy thoughts, and shameful deeds. I think we could put them in that category, couldn't we? When he was on his way, he wasn't long until he found where the prostitutes were. You see, there was something in him that wanted that. And my dear friends, we're all made of the same material. And you get a shock if you find out some people that look extremely religious and if only you knew what went on in their lives. 
We live in a very wicked and a very immoral society. Now, I know it's well cloaked over, and the church does a lot to cloak over it too. But my dear friends, there needs to be a baptism of repentance for sexual sin. Sexual sin. People sleeping like rabbits don't know who their father is. Christians sleeping around. The Bible says fornicators shall not inherit the kingdom of God. This is the Bible says. Adulterers shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Say, well, Alan, is there no hope? Oh, no, there's certainly hope. I am not at that stage. I'm just pointing out, my dear friends, what the heart's like. And it's possible even to be a Christian and have bits of hell all through your heart. And if you don't deal with them, they'll destroy you. You've got to deal with them. You've got to repent. You, that's why you need to be at the prayer meeting. If you're at the prayer meeting, the Holy Ghost will convict you of your sin. If you come and you wait on God and ask Him to speak to you, and He'll start showing you things in your life and in your home and about your tongue and about your behavior, and He'll start convicting you. And as He does, you'll start to repent, and God will start to release you and deliver you and bring His blessing into your life. My friends, I know I'm not far from the mark. You say, well, Alan, how could you know all that? Because I look at church prayer meetings, that's why. Church prayer meetings are dead. The average evangelical church prayer meeting, you would wish to God when you're in them that God would take you anywhere, moon, Mars, anywhere to get out of them. Kill you. Boring. God's not there. Why is God not there? Because the people aren't living right. You can invoke him all you like, but if you're not living right, you'll have no desire to seek him. You'll have no desire to be in his presence. You'll have no desire to wait at him. You'll have no private time with God because you're not living right. But there's a remedy, but we'll come to that in a moment. You see, my dear friend, this man in immoral ways. But then it says very quickly, and we'll just run through this quick. It says about this. It then mentions... Idolatry. You say, well, would this boy have had idolatry in his heart? Man, he had. Man, he had idolatry. You say, Alan, what idolatry had this boy? I'll tell you the idolatry that he had. He said to his father, give me. Money's the answer for me. Money will meet my need. I have been looking at dad and what dad has. And if I could get dad's money, boy, what I would do. And you see, my dear friends, Jesus talked. He said, you cannot worship God and mammon. You can't have God and money. Maybe you worship money. Maybe money's your God. First thing in the morning you wake and God never comes into yours. There's pounds, shillings, and pence. You're on the grab for money all the time and you'd sell your granny for a fiver. Oh, why? Then you come and sit in the prayer meeting, maybe. But you don't have much to say because your devotion is to another God and he's called Mammon. Oh, he was an idolater, this boy. <laughs> but then it mentions a word pharmakia. In, in, in this, it calls witchcraft. Pharmakia. Drugs. Drugs. Potions. And they took these potions to get power and to get an altered state of consciousness. The drug seems nothing new. It's the work of the flesh. You see, man knows that he, in himself he's a fallen creature. He knows that he's broken inside and he wants control of his life and he wants control of everything about him. So what he does is he does everything in his power to get control. Maybe you're like that. Control freak. Control the children. Control the wife. Control the husband. You're dominating. That's witchcraft you're operating in. Witchcraft. If you're controlling, you're, you're operating witchcraft. You make a Christian witch, by the way. <laughs> Just by the way. A bit of a shock for some people. Aye. It's one of the works of the flesh. Witchcraft. Controlling people. 
You see, he done all that, and then we could, well, not go through the rest, but all the rest of them are talking about division, conflict. That's mainly the tongue. <laughs> Fighting with everybody. Not a peacemaker, but boy, anybody disapproves of you or you disapprove. Man, you're out to voice your opinion. The Bible says we're to be peacemakers. So that we can have peace in our own lives and peace in our own homes and peace in our nation. You see, this boy had all these gods. And you know, friends, I want you to see something very quickly. I'm going to read you just a wee verse from Ecclesiastes chapter 2. And this is Solomon. Wisest man in the world other than Jesus. And I want you to read, I want to read first of all what he had to say about everything and then I'm going to run through them very quick for you. Because it'll give you an idea in Ecclesiastes 2 and verse 1. We're going to read from verse 11. This is what he said. Now, he's an old man, by the way, at the stage. He's at the end of his life, and he's reviewing his life, Ecclesiastes. And he didn't do that well as a Christian. He didn't live that well. He made a lot of blunders. But he's reviewing his life, and he's looking back over all that he has done and accomplished. And this is what he said in verse 11. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I had labored to do, and behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit. In other words, it was all nothing. Now, what did he do? Because he had exceptional abilities given by God. This is what he did. He gave himself, first of all, to luxury. He had the most beautiful homes and properties that anybody could have. Anybody driving past him said, wow, boy, Solomon has made it. He's a happy man. He's won the lottery. Oh, he had luxury. And then he had liquor. He gave himself to wine. He got some strong drink, and he got himself kind of half stooches. And he, he did that. And he gave himself to the wine as well. And then he gave himself to lust. He had over 300 concubines and he just lived as he wished. And as I say, he sowed his wild oats. He done all that. And then he gave himself to learning. He was an educated boy. He got a lot of books out and he was the most educated man of all time. And he learned everything that could be learned. And then he decided the real remedy would be laughter. So he brought in a few comedians. And they started telling him jokes. And he laughed at their jokes. And when all this was passed and he had done all this stuff, he said at the end, he said it was vanity and vexation of spirit. He said it's all nothing. You do well when you learn that. If you learn those things early on in your life, it'll be a great blessing that they're all vanity. You see, my dear friends, when this boy was on his journey with his prostitutes and enjoying his life to the full, if you would have interjected and found him on the journey and said, here, here's a wee tape recorder and there's a wee gospel message on that there about Jesus or the blood of the lamb or salvation, he'd have said, what are you talking about? Throw that rubbish away. Every gospel track there tell you about the way of salvation. Ah, I don't want that. I'm enjoying life. The Bible says there's pleasure in sin, but it's for a season. It's for a season. And he enjoyed his sin. But my friends, the Bible tells us that whenever this young man had spent all, he had done all his body could do. He had given his life to flesh and all the pleasures that life could offer him, and he enjoyed them all, but the Bible says all was spent. And a great famine came on the land, and he found himself in need. And the same man that had left with such expectations in his earlier youth and had decided that the world was his oyster and he was going to live as he liked and do what he liked and behave as he liked, it's all changing now. Because sin brings wages. You reap 
Whatsoever you sow, you reap. Whatsoever you sow, the harvest is certainly coming. You'll reap whatsoever you sow. And the Bible says that something interesting happened to this man. He became an employee of a local farmer or landowner to get some money. And he had to feed the pigs. Worst place to be with the pigs. And as he's joined to these pigs, he looks at them and he wants to eat what they're eating. But nobody gave him anything. You see, my dear friends, the world is a harder place than your home. <laughs> Some of you young people, you think mom and dad are too bad and too hard and you know, but let me tell you, whenever you get out into this old world, you realize that if you have a reasonable or a good mom or dad, boy, you'll appreciate them. Well, he's not doing his own thing anymore. And the cry rises up from his broken, hurt, savaged heart. I'm hurting now. My brother hurt me. And I left thinking I could do it my own way. I thought I could arrange my life and my plans and my future. And I got in with the prostitutes and I lost my money and I lost my purity and my life's full of evil spirits because of the sexual behavior I was involved in and now I'm full of devils and full of demons and I'm dark. And look where I am now. I'm down with the pigs. It's hurting me. The Bible says, whosoever commits sin becomes the slave of sin. Sin and slaves becomes your master. Recently, I was talking to a missionary, a lady. Her son's a Christian, and she said to me, we went to an old people's home. And she says the son, he was about 17, but he was keen for the Lord. And she says he went into the old people's home and he had a message and she says they brought all these old frail people in on zimmers and wheelchairs. And they set them all round up and she says he opened the Bible at 2 Kings 7 about the four lepers and he shouted out, why sit you here till you die? thought that was a good text. Got a good laugh at that one. Why sit you here till you die? Well, that's what God said to him. Why are you staying here? You're broken inside. There may be hurt, rejection, abuse, God knows what inside you. But why are you sitting here till you die? When you know that the end is not good and there's no God and no help. And something miraculous happened. You see, friends, it says that he came to himself. You know, you can live as you like, but there's always a price. I may have told you this story before, but recently, or a few years ago, I was up in a, in a, uh, getting the car fixed, and there was a farmer come in, and he was all excited telling me about this Peugeot 405 that he had. And this Peugeot 405, he said, she runs on chip oil. He says, I don't put diesel in her. She's chip oil. I get it for none. And he says, she's got, and I pulled kettle in. And he started her up and there was more black smoke. You'd have thought, you thought it was one of the plagues of Egypt uh, around the place. He says, he says, it's great. So that was all right. I was back about a year later. And he come up and I says to him, well, what about the Peugeot? Oh, he says, she blew up. You see, to the person who's living a life like this man, 
living a life that is contrary to the manufacturer. The manufacturer is God and he has laid down how we're to live because he made us and he knows how we function best. But listen, friends, you can do what that farmer done. You can disobey the manufacturer. You can put your chip oil into the engine. You can go and live sexually as you want. You can fornicate. You can sin. You can lie. You can cheat. You can make money your God. You can do all those things. But listen, the engine blew up and the wages of sin is death. Death. And that's where this boy was. You know, someone said recently to a person who had just got saved, he says, Have you lost your mind? And they were sharp enough and they said, Yes, I have. I've now got the mind of Christ. I thought that was good. You lose your mind. Absolutely. I lost my mind over 30, nearly 40 years ago, I lost my mind. The filthy, dirty mind and the selfish mind. I lost it 40 years ago and Jesus Christ came in and he granted me his mind and many of the thoughts that fill my life today are thoughts from him. And they're lovely thoughts. Oh yes, I've lost my mind and I want to lose it more so that more of Christ can fill my mind. But this boy's mind was affected and he he sat and he came to himself. And my friend, tonight in closing, you need to come to yourself. You need to inwardly awaken to the fact that you are living in rebellion against your creator and you are living selfishly and the consequences have been catastrophic into your life and you need to turn to your creator. And this man said, I will return to my father. I'll go back. Thank God there was a message. There was a hope that he was aware of. There was somebody who would maybe welcome him. And he said, I'll go back to God. I'll go. And he said, this is what I'll do. I'll say I've sinned against heaven. And in my sight, he said, my first problem's with God. And my second problem's with my father. And my friend, whenever you get converted, you need to show by your, by your works and by your behavior that you're truly saved. I remember my brother who, who was as wild as a hare and broke my mother's heart. And he drunk and he fooled about and goofed. He had a motorbike and he spent more time rolling around the roads than he did actually on the bike. But he was very good to me. And I remember in his wildness, he came home one day from Carnlock in County Antrim. And the news went through the house. Mervyn's got saved. Whatever that meant. I didn't know what it meant. But once he got home, I knew what it meant. Because he wasn't long till he was down around neighbors and people that he had hurt. And he had got my mother into trouble through things. And he had done things that he shouldn't have done. And he went round to those people and he told them that he was sorry, that he was responsible. You see, my dear friends, I began to see that my brother was changed. And he used to go into the bedroom whenever he was a young convert. And I walked in as a teenager. And I can remember seeing his Bible open on his bed. And he was down on his knees praying. And I used to retreat out of the room. Because I knew he was talking to God. You see, my dear friends, whenever anybody's converted, they've not only sinned against God, but sinned against man. And when they're saved, those things are fixed. Those things are restored. For if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things pass away and all things become new. As he was walking back, that was his desire. But you know, like so many people, and I'm closing in a few moments, like so many, do you know what he said? Instead of just coming back to the Father, he started to sort out the way it would be. He said, now when I come back, this is the way I'm going to come. So he got a bit of religion about him. (laughs) A bit of religion. He says, I'll just say to him now, I'm not fit to be your son, so you put me in this low place. And he was working out how it was all going to be done. You see, he didn't know his father. And my friend, you don't know God. You don't know what God's like. You don't know how kind he is. You don't know how loving he is. You don't know how protective he is. You don't know how faithful he is. My life would be lost without him. 
I can see as I look back over many years as a Christian, I can see miracle after miracle, intervention and grace and love and mercy and kindness and forgiveness and hope. I can see so much and I couldn't cease but to praise him for who he is and what he has done for me. He's a wonderful God, wonderful Savior, and he makes his way back. And when he gets back, he has all this plan what he's going to do, but he, he gets the shock of his life. But before he even gets speaking, the father runs. <laughs> and it's the only picture in the Bible of God running. God runs to the repentant sinner. And if you're sorry for your sin and you run to God, I want to tell you God's running to you. And God will meet you. And he was about to tell him what he wanted, but God, the father, wasn't for having it. He put his arms around him and he kissed him. And the Bible said he had compassion. In other words, he felt his pain. God felt his pain and he feels your pain. Whatever has happened in your life, whatever has brought you to where you are, God knows the underlying issues. He knows the hurt and the rejection and the pain and the abuse. He knows it all and he understands and he has pity for you. And he wants you just to come to him. And when you do, he'll throw his arms around you. And he brought him into the house. And there was no slavery anymore. He gave him a ring. And he gave him a robe. And he said, you're reinstated. <laughs> do you know that's really what salvation is? It's just reinstatement. It's coming back into fellowship with God. Where Adam lost it, Jesus gives it back. My friend, it's wonderful to know God. It's wonderful to know Jesus. It's wonderful. And it's wonderful to have that hope. I wonder tonight as we close, would you be willing to come like that prodigal to God and say, God... I'm not unlike him. And I would love your salvation. I would love your mercy. There was an old woman, a nanny. And she lived with a great aristocrat and lord in England. And she'd looked after a wee boy in the home who had died while he was very young. The Lord died and all the possessions were going up for sale. In among all the beautiful jewelry and wealth and garments and possessions was a little tattered picture of the man's little son who had died many years before. The little picture went up for sale, but everybody laughed. But the old woman bought it. A few pennies. She bought it. She took it home with her and set it in the center of her home. She thought of the young boy that she knew and loved. Not many days afterwards, the solicitor arrived at her door. She welcomed him in. What can I do for you? He said, I'm here to tell you that the whole estate, the entire wealth and fortune, belongs to you. I come. The master left it strict instructions in his will. Whoever buys my son gets everything. When you receive the son... You get everything. You get everything. Would you receive him? Let's close in prayer.